Have we got, there it is, our big topic for today. Does religion do more harm than good? Wow. I said yes to that topic. Uh, Does religion do more harm than good? Uh, Short answer, yes and also no. Depending on what you think by uh, the, the meaning of the word religion. So, over to you. What do we mean by, what do you understand by the word religion, please, Gideon? <laughs> he said he had some ideas before the meeting, it's okay. Formal worship we have from the back. Okay, so a, um, a belief in a being unseen, often linked to the story of creation or the afterlife, one might say. Okay, interesting, religion linked to those beliefs. Uh, formal worship, doctrine, doctrine, which um, again we can say, what do you mean by the word doctrine? The set of rules, uh, the understanding, the formalizing of the understanding of a structure for faith. Okay. Do you want to? I'll just sit there. You can. So, uh, for the purposes of the recording, often religion can uh, limit us to the formalization, to the re- doctrine, to the structure, and ignore aspects of the relationship, in which case it possibly would do more harm than good. Um, go on. The law, the, the do's and don'ts rather than the relationship. Okay, very good. Oxford English Dictionary says, the belief in and worship of superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. Okay, very much like what you were saying, something about a belief in something superhuman. Um, But the Oxford English Dictionary is... It doesn't stand alone in its, um, in its interpretation, but it is one of many. No one can agree on what the word religion means, and neither do they have... You know, sometimes words have multiple meanings, like the word pink. It's that mixture between red and white. But also, um, pinking shears are those, um, those haberdashery ones, you know, they cut fabric with. Um, also, a pink is a pre-detonation blast on an internal combustion engine. That, that metallic noise, that knocking noise, that's pinking. Pink's got loads of different words. And you're like, <laughs> work up different nods from people. I looked at different people, the haberdashery one. I looked over here, saw some nods. Uh, and then Phil was like, yeah, the engine one, yeah. Um, so... The word pink has lots of different meanings, and you can list them. It does mean this, it does mean this, it does mean this. Religion, though, has got lots of potential meanings. It could mean this, it could mean this, it could mean this, depending on your understanding. Because for some of of our context, it doesn't mean those other things. We understand it differently. Okay, some other people who have said some stuff that might try to codify this. A unified system of beliefs and practices relative to sacred things. That is to say, things set apart or holy. Things that are holy and things that are forbidden. Beliefs and practices which unite into one single moral community called a church, all those who adhere to them. Wow, go for it. That's um, Emily Durkheim. Max Lynn Stackhouse says, a comprehensive worldview or metaphysical moral vision. And that's enough of that one. It's far too big. So, 
the root of the word, even the root of the word religion is up for grabs. We, we don't know. It could be religio from the Latin to choose again, to again choose. Um, or possibly to again connect, to reconnect. So religion is the process by which you connect nationally as a religion. Jedi smashed that target in the 2001 um, census. Loads of people put their religion down as Jedi. Um, and, uh, and then the Office for National Statistics said, no, nah, they're just joking, and didn't include it as a religion. Brilliant. Okay. So, uh, does having a religion or the word religion make it worse? It's... it's it's interesting, but tragedy has existed in the name of religion um, throughout history. And so does it do more harm than good? You could have people saying, look, the, the Crusades were absolutely terrible. The Spanish Inquisition was awful. There were rules within the Spanish Inquisition that you weren't allowed to, um, to use bloodshed. No bloodshed when you are, when you, are um, you know, persecuting people when you're um, trying to get them to, to convert or to renounce non-Catholic beliefs. And so they did all sorts of horrible stuff, um, which I could go through, and some of the youth would love it, but I'm not going to. Um, but they didn't shed any blood. Oh. There's the, the thuggy sect, who strangled 20,000 people a year in India to appease the bloodthirsty goddess Kali in the 1800s. It's just people who think that, um, that their, their God requires something and act that out, and it's awful. Are we having issues with the recording? Is that what's going on? It stopped, but we've got it back going. It's all right. You didn't miss anything. And so I'm going to start with, for the purposes <laughs> of recording, um, it, I want to be careful within this next bit that I don't seek to cause any division between our expression of worship and other people's. I'm not here to belittle any activities, traditions or practices from God-fearing, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, you know, Jesus-loving individuals around the world who do things and I go, I, I just don't get that. I don't connect with that. But then there are other people who come along to what we do and they see, they see us with a drum kit and go, look, I don't connect with God when we're worshipping and it's loud, so I'm going to go elsewhere. That's great. Religion isn't, um, isn't those things that, um, that help us connect with God. But my, my, the talk that I'm doing this morning is mostly about religion where it's those uh, practices that we've lost the meaning of. Now, this morning, we did what millions, maybe even billions of people around the world are going to be doing today in taking communion together. It's a religious practice. And it can be a religious practice for some people where it has no meaning, but it's just something that you do when you go to church. You know, there's a thing, and there's a thing, and there's, uh, you know, probably a hand on the head, and, and, and you move away, and, you know, you've done that box ticked. And that is a doing exercise that actually can be really, really isolating and separating uh, you know, from God. But when we connect with what Jesus has done for us, 
when we remember his sacrifice, communion can be, well, that commune from where we get the word community. It can be unifying between us and God. It can be an activity that we go through that makes us really consider all that he has done for us and makes us just want to worship him all the more. How is that possible that one thing can be for some a box-ticking exercise, but for others it can be one of the most intensely spiritual experiences? That's what I find difficult, is when churchgoers... When churchgoers hold precious certain activities because it is tradition, you know, we've done this for hundreds of years, and some of them have done it for hundreds of years, um, or that's because it's what we do. You know, and I say churchgoers because I don't mean people with whom the, there is a, a, a relationship with God. I, peop- I mean people who join the club, who come along. And I, I've spoken to people who go to church, go to a formal church environment because actually it's really good for their business in terms of networking and their profile because of the markets that they reach out to. Now, totally self-serving, but they will do these things because it's something that we've always done and it's important to us. As we enter into this relationship with the Methodist building and joining them in the spire, um, there are a lot of things that they are having to look at and say, actually, we'll give that up so that you can keep your instruments on the stage. You know, we won't have that, that particular ornament. That's okay. It's something that we've always done but we will work around it. And we have to do the same. We have always come through those doors. Don't turn up in those doors when we're in a different building, but we've always started at 10.30, and we've always started with worship first. You know, we have to look at these things and go, actually, we don't reduce our relationship with God or our potential to have relationship with him because of... um, reordering things or relocating or even saying actually we can't do that anymore let's find some other way of of worshiping i know that for for some here um particular styles of song help you to connect more than others and we've had a a full range this morning we've had some uh mid 90s or early 90s uh, more love more power um and our god is an awesome god which, by the way, we've never sung the verses to uh, because, because <laughs> they're terrible. Um, God wasn't messing when he, or putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. He's got lightning in his footsteps and thunder in his fists. Our God is an... Oh, there's some awful stuff in there. But the, the chorus, I think you all agree, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. It's incredible. It's as if it was written by two people. Um, It wasn't. Just God inspired. He probably got the chorus and thought, I need to pad it out. Um, And so, yeah, there are some people who connect with certain songs and others who who connect with other types of songs. And um, I've got the earworm that we played most recently. Nothing and no, you know that's that's going through my head all the time at the moment. That's that's the beat by which I'm living my life because you know that's the sort of thing where I really connect and I'm like, you know, God, you are just fantastic. I sing because you are good and I dance emotionally because you are good. Um, you know, 
One of my one of my least favourite um, lines in any song is um, "They will dance with joy like we're dancing now." In that um, Martin Smith, isn't it? It's a delirious song. They will dance with joy like we're dancing now. And you look around and go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and often, and it's the song. I will sing of your love, and it's played at that beat. And they will dance with joy like we're dancing. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> no, can't. God, you've got more than that to offer to people who don't yet know you. They will dance with joy like we, we are not dancing right now. <laughs> Good. James 1.27. I put that picture up because um, it, it signifies for me, um, I, I'm not saying that all high church is, is wrong, What I'm saying is that I struggle to connect with God through some of the practices that are held dear by some other people, and that's okay. That's fine. Today is about personal and community evaluation of why do we do these things? How does it help? What is the meaning? Let's get rid of the junk. Let's actually connect with what matters, and that is a relationship with the Father God. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right then. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right then. Good, James, thanks. But, you know, we could benefit from a little bit of context so James 1.26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And then it goes on to say, but here's the religion that God accepts. And these are three of the four instances of the word religion in the New Testament. Those who consider themselves religious do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Their religion is worthless, but religion that God accepts is pure. Those are three of the four instances. The other one is related to worship of angels. So it's kind of, it's very difficult to get, you know, what does this word mean from more context because it seems to only really occur here. But that's fine. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. So these are people who want to be seen as religious. So it's not a negative thing. Those who consider themselves religious. And it's like that person, I said, who likes to go to church for the, for the contacts, for the business contacts, for the, um, you know, for the networking. She likes to be seen as religious because of the elevated status or the perception that you're a churchgoer, so you must be honest and good, and I can do business with you in a way that you won't cheat me. You know, the association with religion. Is it worth coming to church just so that you can say to people, yeah, yeah, I go to church? Increasingly, that's not seen as a good thing in wider culture and society. But it used to be. So those who consider themselves religious, but don't even keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. So if you consider yourself religious with all the social benefits, if there are any, that it, uh, that it brings, 
but you fail to allow it to even change how you talk, then you're kidding yourself more than anyone else. That's what it says. But if you want to get it right, if you really want to get it right, look after those who need looking after. Brilliant. Look after widows and orphans in their distress. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Which is interesting. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. All right then. What I think we should do is club together, sell all our houses, buy a massive plot of land and live in commune. Let's just isolate ourselves. Let's go New Testament on this, yeah? Let's, you know, sell all we had, share with one another in need and get a massive commune. We could call ourselves a cult. No, no, let's not do that. (laughs) But, you know, that where we border ourselves off and keep ourselves away from the world, that's, that's not what we're called to here. How can you look after widows and orphans in their distress who are out in the community if you are shutting yourselves off in some massive holy huddle? And we can't just enjoy each other's company, great as, that though, as though that may be, um, because you know, we, we, that's not what God has called us for. We are intended to be outward focused, looking after the least able to look after themselves. That if I said to you, um, what I really want you to do for me is to make me a cup of tea, but don't get burnt, okay? You're not going to go, the easiest way for me not to get burnt is for me to stay away from the kettle. Because I won't get a cup of tea. And that's not a good thing. If God wants you to look after widows and orphans in their distress, but keep yourself from being polluted by the world, that's not to isolate yourself. It is a warning that you're going to get dirty. You're going to need to have each other. You're going to need to have the Holy Spirit within you to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That, I think, is, is a... a double-stranded thing. Those two aren't accidentally next to each other. You're going to get out there. You're going to get dirty in the world. Keep yourself from that affecting you. Keep yourself pure. Keep reconnecting with God. Get help from those around you. Get help from the Holy Spirit. This is going to be, this is a mission and you can't do it on your own. There have been people usually of the 18 to 21 bracket who have just found their way to university who suddenly have a calling to nightclubs, which is going to be their battleground. You know, I'm, I'm going I'm to go out maybe every night <laughs> doing God's service. And by the end of the week, that you can't tell them from anyone else. You know, they've been polluted by the world. But you, um, you, you say, that's my battleground. I'm going to get a team of people and we're going give, to give out water gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. These are people who are outcasts, who find it difficult to make their way in the world. How does he do that? Through us. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Interesting. Does he do that through us as well? Consider. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. End the verse with... Praise the Lord. Excellent. Love it. Good. Luke 8, 9-14 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, 
That is the one adherent to the law, you know, loved the list of do's and don'ts. We've got a list of do's and don'ts in the Bible. I'm going to expand on it. I'm going to follow a, a religious teacher who tells me what that means in terms of who I can see, how far I can walk, and what I can do on any given day. So one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The f- I know, right? Boo! Get into pantomime season. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> Harsh. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I am a sinner. I'm a saint who sometimes sins. I'm not without sin. I need God. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I need God. If we fast, that's not a bad thing. But there was a story told by, who did we do his side on? It was Gerald Coates, wasn't it? Who said, look, I'm, I, I regularly fast and things, but I was, a, I was in this week-long fast, and I was a couple of days in, and I was doing it because I was always doing it, but I was, you know, I'd stood on the scales and stuff, and the only thing he could hear God saying was, how's the diet going? He was fasting because, you know, he was, fast, he was meant to fast and connect with God. And all God would say to him is, how's the diet going? And he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I won't step on the scales. I'll, I'll eat for a bit and then I'll come back to you when my heart's in the right place. Fasting, going without food or going without something else, isn't just a show of strength by your abstinence. You know, I have self-control. I can do this. Well done you. That's your full reward right there. But if fasting is, God, I want to cry out to you and connect with you, and I feel that going without something will help me in that journey somehow, and it does, it's amazing, then God will listen and God, will, God wants to connect with you. And we do this as a church. We declare a week of prayer and fasting, and we get together, and we fast, and we pray, and God speaks to us, and it changes, you know, it changes our perception on things and the direction we go in. It's brilliant. It brings us to the questions. What, what do we do just because we do it? And this is very personal. Anything that gets in the way, an activity that gets in the way of the relationship between you and God, is that's not pure. It's not faultless. faultless. So it's time to consider what you do, where you spend your time and energy, and how you consider those in need. Before I give us a bit of time for those questions, here's some, here's, uh, some quotes from some people uh, who I've found on A to Z quotes. Um, this guy is a lead singer of Panic at the Disco, uh, who I'm sure is first on all of your playlist. He says, I grew up in a very religious family. Um, and like that was a very big part of my life and still very much is, even though I don't affiliate with any specific religion. It's just for me, you know, the spirituality of being able to own up to your sins, as they're called, and take responsibility 
for your actions. That really hit me this time around. Interesting. Oh, he's on a journey, isn't he? You know, you've got to own up to your sins. He's like the tax collector. God, I have done some rubbish. And he's on that journey to, say, to finding God and, saying, and finding out that Jesus has taken those sins. Uh, here's one that most of you will, I think, really appreciate. Chuck Norris says, I'm a very religious person. <laughs> Direct quote from Chuck Norris. Who's Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris... He's the one who gave an uppercut to a horse and giraffes were created. Uh, when he does push-ups, he doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the earth away. Um, uh, Chuck Norris, he's, he's the most memeable human being alive. He is, um, he's an actor, basically. We'll move on. So this one's important. Uh, so this is uh, Maya Angelou, who's a civil rights activist. I'm a very religious person, so it's the presence of God, the constant, unwavering, unrelenting presence of God which continues to help me to keep a character which I am proud to show. Amen. Oh, you keep at it, Maya Angelou. That is fantastic. It is the unrelenting presence of God that she is identified for the purposes of the interview as being the qualities of a very religious person that helps her to show a character that others can be inspired by to make change. These are small group questions, but also questions for now, I think, because they are our response. What things actually have we lost the meaning of? You're all here on a Sunday morning. Why are you here? Are you here because attendance is expected? Are you here because you've been dragged along by someone else? Are you here because it's an opportunity to connect with each other and with Father God in a way that you don't get to do on your own? It's interesting. And that changes the attitude with which we walk through the doors. I am here for this purpose. You know, it's brilliant. We are called to help widows and orphans in their distress. What's the modern equivalent and how do we respond to that? We can respond corporately. We can respond in different ways in different phases of our life. I am not going to give you the list of how we should do that because how you should do that is different to how I should do that. And finally, if all of this has been a bit, you know, what are people talking about with that relationship with God? What does that mean? I've only ever come along because, you know, it's, it's a church and it was the happiest place to be on a Sunday morning. I want to know more about that relationship with God. That, I would love to continue with you in terms of having that discussion. That's the very purpose. St. Augustine said that the chief end of man is the worship of God. It's the thing we were made to do. It's the very purpose of our being to connect with God and have relationship with him. Should we take a couple of minutes just, just for people to whilst we set up the worship band and stuff, to be people to be able to consider these things. What do I do that might get in the way of my relationship with God? And how can I change that? What is my response to those in need? And what can I do? Yeah, what can I do about it?